How do I start this? Every single episode, it's exactly the same. I feel like we don't start our episodes well. You know, we should have some kind of plan or maybe uh, run down what we're going to talk about during the show or even have a little pitch about the movie that we're going to talk about, but uh, I just have never figured it out. This format, it's not something that works for what we're doing. We should do something bigger, more. Everyone just wants the freakouts, the Nick Cage freakouts. That's why they watch Nick Cage movies. That's why they're obsessed with Nick Cage, why he's become a meme. It's the freakouts. We should just, we should just talk about the freakouts. We should have a whole podcast where we just run down lists of the top 10 best Nick Cage freakouts. We never have anything insightful to say anyway about any of these characters or movies. No one cares. They're not interested in some kind of weird, in-depth, philosophical breakdown that two guys might have about a Nick Cage movie that came out 23 years ago. Uh, No one's listening. Why are we doing this? Hey, what's up? This is Heat Seeking Panther. I'm Dave. This is uh, your. <laughs> I'm, I'm Miles Lovecraft. <laughs> and special guest this week, Lionel Williams. What's Hi. up, Lionel? Thanks for being in the Panther Den. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, shit, adaptation. I, are we ready to even talk about it? No. Can we? I don't like. I actually have so much to say. I was I was going crazy writing notes. Yeah, me too. I think this. I probably took maybe less notes than I thought, but it felt like I took more notes this time than I have ever before. Um, uh, but I think I was just thinking more about the movie as I was watching it, which is appropriate for how meta this movie is. Yeah, this is, uh, I think, the most meta movie I've ever seen. And I saw this in high school, um, but... I like embarrassingly enough, like the the whole third act like went completely went over my head. Like I did, I just completely took it without meta text and just um, accepted it. And uh, it's a really different, way crazier movie now. And it was a r- crazy movie then. Too. Oh yeah, it's insane. Um, Lionel, you've seen this before, yeah? Yeah. You asked to be on this episode with us because this movie made such an impression on you. It did. Um, and it, it was a completely unconscious impression because I had zero memory of it, but I've seen it at least once. And I think probably two or three times and it just keeps getting erased from my brain. <laughs> so that is a, that's in and of itself is a metaphysical mystery to me. Yeah. And it's it, a red flag, I'd say. Well, and, and I, I think just in general, even for someone who has seen it a couple of times and still there are large portions of it which are different every time that yeah. i don't remember from like the, any previous time that i've seen it like it's i feel like every time i see this movie it's super cliche to say this but i'm literally seeing it for the like, first time well like not just noticing things that i've never seen before but there's like whole plot elements that i'm like oh yeah. how did i forget that that was there yeah 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 i i mean i think a big part of it is that um the structure of this movie which of course it makes reference to because <laughs> it's about i mean it, it's about the creation of itself but the the structure of the movie does consciously doesn't follow the structure that we want it to until the end film is so um beholden to the narrative constraints of um fiction of like narrative fiction that um we it's like comforting and it fires off like uh you know familiar uh synapses uh in our minds when we watch those movies but this movie is about trying to create a film that doesn't do that and the film is act and the film itself is a movie that doesn't do that in a in the completely different completely opposite way than it's talking about 
Right. I'm already. Did that make? Did that sentence make sense? No, I but don't, I, I think I was thinking. I think I have thought some of those same things. Okay, let's try. Yeah, I can't. Even, okay. I think it really comes down to like us inevitably living living in a dualistic reality. It's something we can't deny, and these are. It's a reason why this movie is so poignant to everybody that watches it in an inexplicable way. Is that it might be touching upon like a unified field. Yeah. Beyond, like literally dissolved of, of all of that, all of those illusions, as all of the illusions are always aware of themselves within the film, as long as you're aware of them. And you can become increasingly more or more or less aware of them. Right. Like this, this movie makes almost no sense outside of context. Yeah. Like yeah. For, for how much people, and again, like so many times in the movie, a, a screenwriting rule is set up only to. to be broken. To to basically tell you like you know except except in this movie yeah where, where it works right um, <laughs> right and but but it's but I think I think it's that same kind of thing where it's like it almost it's like reveling in its ability to be the most engaging non movie that you've ever seen you know because it's yeah. like it's like all these rules it's saying like there was one scene when he goes to the screenwriting workshop. And he goes the 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 uh, Richard Sklar or whatever the guy's name is. Oh, uh, yeah, Robert he, McKee. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes like, um, who's a real guy? Is he really? Yeah. And was he played by himself? No, he was oh, played okay. by his friend Brian Cox. Oh, that's so funny. Oh yeah, that was Brian Cox. Yeah. That was Han- that was Hannibal Lecter himself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, Hannibal Lecter 1.0. Um, but he goes. Uh, uh, he goes, oh, you you can't write you can't write a script like that. You'll bore your audience to death. Right. And like this is coming from the most engaging film about nothing that right. like anyone's ever made. Right. It, it's it's one of the most important lines within a movie that is about breaking that rule. Um, and like Ouroboros, which gets name called to kind of coming around to you know it 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 is that movie and it isn't that movie right. <laughs> you know it it doesn't bore us to death but it it we I feel like at least me as a teenager I didn't know how to process it no me either and I still feel that way about Schenectady Schenectady New York mm-hmm. you guys have seen that yeah yeah I don't like I, I only saw it once and I came away just being like my brain has been full since like halfway through that movie and <laughs> but this time well but again another film that you can't ever see like it's you every time you see it you can never see the full film yeah like you right. only remember certain parts of it from the last time you watched it and it's like like when you then when you remember the parts you forgot the time before, right. it's like those parts, or you know, were re-erased, or other parts were erased to make room for the parts you right. do remember. But that that movie, it's sorry, that, that, that movie like attempts to do that through like maximalism by just overloading you. And what's amazing is this movie is about Charlie Kaufman's attempt to do it through minimalism to try and say, oh, why why can't I make a story that where nothing happens, right. a story where where there's no fundamental, there's you know no character goes through a fundamental shift, there's no incident, right? But he can't, he like physically can't, and so he made a movie about how he couldn't do that, and made a movie that conforms, ultimately conforms to that thing that the Brian Cox character says. You know, it's a movie about his own personal transformation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, what were you gonna say, Lionel? I cut you off. Oh yeah, no. I mean, you're 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 saying you're, we're all thinking the same things here. I think, uh, yeah, um, you know, this 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 film is touching upon aspects of entropy and how everything goes to shit, you know, in the future, and how everything moving in the linear time progression is drama, and it turns into pure chaos. But how it wraps Darwin into the whole picture is that. That's absolutely necessary for perfect for a closer evolution to perfection. It's adaptation. Yeah, it's adaptation. Absolutely. You know, but but even the law of entropy can be disputed in a way after watching this film because that's still all an illusion. And and it's crazy because right. So you have the pun of adaptation being like that like Darwinistic idea, and then also what he is doing by adapting uh, this New Yorker article into a movie. Um, And 
but it's also, and it's about that pain too. It, it like, you, you know, just the, the process of the film being made and the, the pain and frustration and, and just like, that is the point. The, the point is the struggle to, to get to the end point. Like it's not the end point, the point, uh, of life and of, it's uh, just for the continuation, it's for the continuation. Because, right. of, the whole of, thing is wrapped yeah. around sex because that's how in pollination, the pollination right. yeah. of the flower. How the only, I mean, that's the only mystical secret there is, is that, you know, you need sex to be able to continue life. And then therefore that is the only thing you must focus on or lay, that is the only mystery one has in their life, truly, is yeah. figuring out how to do that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, it's no. really just moving time forward. Well, you know? no. It's well, like the vacuum. Yeah, it is. Because yeah. as soon as you procreate biologically, like you have reached your like maximum potential as like a biological organism. Right. It's like the purpose of your life from like an evolutionary <laughs> standpoint has right. ended. Right. You're, the purpose of your life is to create another life whose sole purpose it is to create another life, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah. The purpose is more than one lifetime. All the experiences in our lifetime are in our genes. Everything that we, all our experiences, it modifies our code, it changes, it evolves our genes, it degenerates our genes, and then our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren experience those experiences that we experience right. through our genes. Because it's so just an extension of, that, an extension same, of that, that same, same thing. Purpose. That's why the intention is so insanely embedded with this in purpose, is that we're changing every track of reality. Because this, in this film, you see all the wrong tracks being played out, all the wrong dimensions being taken, all the wrong tracks around the harmonious, structured, you know, unified track that is underlying all of reality, right. that creates all matter, which is a geometrical perfection that we can't even understand. Or you see Charlie Kaufman's like buzzing brain just around, just just uh, trying to fight with the process, right. and it's then, becoming larger. It's, right, it's it, sprouting it, into a large plant like, neural network. That's, yeah, and and the only way that he can make it make sense to him is to literally trace it all the way back to like the right. beginning of life. And you know, right. And and he puts it in that context, and it's and it feels like chaos until he gives into it. Um, and okay, let's let's take it back down to earth and just try and like sketch out what what <laughs> this movie what is. Happens? How did like <laughs> how did this movie go? Well, um, we should start with single cell organisms. <laughs> okay, great. And masturbation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because what can one do if you're a single cell organism? You can't have sex. You are forced to masturbate <laughs> so hard. Eventually, Darwin's theory is that you masturbate so, so hard, hard you that you create. split. Yeah. You split yourself until you break your celestial dick. Right. Off. <laughs> And this movie is, I mean, Charlie Kaufman masturbates in it a lot. A lot. I think three times. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one time is, is not, you don't see him masturbating, but it turns into a woman because it's a hallucination. And and he, and he worries that the script itself is an act of masturbation. And yet he's creating life. We can enjoy it. Finally, can we watch masturbation without being pissed off? A male you know, a male masturbating. Who, who watches males masturbating? I don't think anybody on this planet watches males masturbating. I, I think you're wrong. I think. <laughs> I think. <laughs> you know, I think horse blinded. If, if you look on the internet, I think I think you'll find it has an audience. Are you sure about that? I uh, I don't that know, man. Specifically, though, males masturbating. I mean, I wouldn't know. That is disputable. It's it's not. Man, who, who am I to say? <laughs> okay, so. The Charlie Kaufman, writer of uh, of being John Malkovich, for some reason in real life got the job of adapting Susan Orlean's New Yorker article about a guy who finds rare orchids in the Everglades and steals them into. Uh, oh no, she wrote a book. She turned it. She turned it. She adapted. Her, her own New York article piece into, a book. into a book. And now Charlie Kaufman in our reality and our timeline was uh, at, given the job to adapt it. And it drove him crazy and he felt like his career was over. And uh, the only way that he could do it and 
see his way to the end was to create the movie, the script that became the movie adaptation, which is about that process. Yes. Of him not being able to write the script. Right. And in the movie, or no, yes. Yes. In the movie, he created a brother named Donald Kaufman, um, who... Who was, who was credited with co-writing the script with yes. him in real life. Yes. Um, it, the movie is in memory of <laughs> Donald Kaufman. Um, and uh, I have theories about what that represents. Maybe it's, I don't, uh, I mean, d- to my mind, he, he create, he, it's like, it's like the part of himself that can, get along easily in the world that is like a, the happy idiot right. who writes what Hollywood actually wants him to write and is amazingly successful at it as opposed to writing what he feel Charlie Kaufman feels irresistibly compelled to write, which is to his mind, at least extremely uncommercial. So Donald Kaufman writes, uh, uh a movie called The Three in this that um, is probably which, the most you, enduring, awesome joke in the whole movie. Did you notice when he handed him the script, the r- absurd font yeah. that, that, that it was that it was like yeah. written in? It was just the and then the numeral the three. three. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think Charlie as feeling like a fool in real life. Right, you know, the, Charlie feeling like a fool was forced to create a brilliant twin, which is a fool backwards, aloof. Right, so it's sort of like a pun. Like he, he creates an aloof. Oh yeah. Kind of that actually know. checks out. I hadn't thought of that at right. all. Yeah, sure. Right. But you know, and like he's aloof, but that the aloof fools, the truly aloof fools, not the brilliant fools. Those are the protagonists of every story. But Don, yeah. so. Donald Donald isn't that aloof though. He's he's super like he he's so easily it's social. Yeah, but like in the way that but he doesn't really like, like he doesn't try to impress anyone, right? You know, he right. just is himself. He's to like an obnoxious degree. Yeah, he's super zen. Yeah, just about being himself. Yeah, and and, and people compl- like him for yeah. that. We like him. He's like the uh, maybe the most fun character in the movie. And um, no offense to all the great characters in the movie. Yeah, but, but I mean, I think. I think this might be Nicolas Cage's best performance. Oh, this is uh, in my this is in my book 100% his best Absolutely. performances. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's any other performance is just good cuz it's bad. That's not true. That's well, we mm. uh, my uh, my second favorite Wild at Heart, he's terrible deliberately maybe, but no. I don't think he's I disagree. Yeah, I mean he made listen it. to our episode and we get into it. Yeah. <laughs> But but I will say that that it, it's a it's often a tie for me between those between those yeah. two roles or as to like which one I, I think Vegas. is his best. Yeah, I mean the, the, this is well. But he, I think the difference is you can't rewatch Living Las Vegas. Like like Living Las Vegas doesn't have the rewatchability as well. This one you have to adaptation. Re-watch. I mean, again, I've seen it three or four times yeah. and I don't know what it's about. <laughs> so like, if that's not a movie that rewards rewatching, like I don't know what is. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, like, uh, what do you think? This film in the credits is like listed as being an adaptation of The Orchid Thief, right? right? So, is it like at what point does an adaptation stop? Like, how do you judge an adaptation based on its truthfulness or, you know, um, how well it sticks to the subject material? Like, but like basically, what is an audience's expectation when it sees, like, based on, you know? Right. No, well, nobody expected this. <laughs> I think it's safe to say I it's like it, it gets back to just I keep using the word meta text and which is fun but it's true like you have to know the meta text of this movie the the story the creation of the brother and stuff to to under to like I think to to understand what it's going for but I also like don't want to say that I even understand that. But I, I felt like, wh- like I said, when I was in high school, I watched it and I was just like, oh, this movie took a turn. In the movie, and I'm assuming in real life, he, he you know, he tried to, he was stuck because her story, um, Susan Orlean's story is, what does he say? It's a, it, it, it ends with her not finding the orchid, not with nothing happening. Right. And, you know, through the whole movie, he's saying like, 
like, why can't a movie just be about flowers? And, and, he, and it ends with her writing that thing about, it's about things being beautiful to imagine, but fantastic, fleeting, and out of reach. And then, you know, Charlie Kaufman is like being forced to sort of choose between trying to stay pure to that, which seems impossible, and like fending off the uh, Hollywoodifying it with, yeah. with a story um, beyond that. And it, he only breaks his writer's block when he first listens to his imaginary brother's advice and goes to a, a writing workshop and realizes that he, you know, is part of why he, his, he's hung up is because he's not listening to um, the Donald part of himself. But what happens in the movie is when he finally starts listening to his brother's suggestions about what, what it's missing, what they find out as detectives is this completely invented story of Susan Orlean being in love with Jean LaRoche, the character who steals the orchids, and um, you know, using they they crush him up and snort them into like a hallucinogen, and they become murderers, and it just like so the last third completely satisfies this this idea of like what a Hollywoodified version of the story would be, while putting the whole thing in quotes and being like, this is you know, this is fake as the, as the characters in the movie discover the real story, it actually, the, the quote real story in our world diverges, diverges <laughs> from know. our reality. Yeah. Right. This movie is too hard to talk about. I have nothing to say. What am I going to say? Dave's almost done talking. I got to think of something really insightful really quickly. Dude, this movie's so hard to talk about. It's yeah, it's very difficult. Cuz I have so much to say but I don't know how to put I don't know how to like make it. Yeah, how do we like where do you even like start? I feel like this episode more than any other that we've done so far, like if you haven't seen adaptation yet, just stop listening. Yeah, just just stop listening. I mean, just, we're not going to ruin it. No. <laughs> but but you know, I it's it, Okay, I, I'm just going to start reading things from my notes. Yeah. Tom Hanks was originally cast to play Charlie Kaufman. Holy shit. Um, but Cage, Cage took it at a $5 million salary. And Which he wore, is far below what he would have otherwise taken for yeah. and, and a I, film around this time. I can't stress enough how good he is in this. He says to, like, Charlie Kaufman... Okay, so here's... An <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go into space again. But, um, like... Have you guys ever seen The Five Obstructions? No. It's it's great. It's this documentary about um, Lars von Trier um, and his, like, some, some director from Norway or wherever Lars von Trier is from um, made a short film that um, I guess is, like, a seminal short film and just an important... Peace and, and Lars von Trier, he's like his hero. Um, so uh, through the film, Lars von Trier uh, tasks him with remaking his short film, but with really strict guidelines. Like it has to be animated and each edit can only be like, you know, 0.5 seconds long or, you know, and so he's forced to, to remake this film under like impossible uh, specifications. specifications. And I was thinking about that a lot uh, watching this because in a sense, like Charlie Kaufman by accept, accepting this script was forced, just forced to be completely uncomfortable. And through making the film, through agonizing o over the creation of the film, he, he ended up creating a beautiful piece of art. And it's interesting because Nick Cage talks in interviews that uh, I ended up watching because we don't have the book anymore. Um, so I was... The, so you have to put more work in? I do, I, yeah. Um, but uh, he talks about how, like, it kind of broke his brain trying to play both the characters because he'd play... He talked about how, like, Charlie... The character of Charlie is so, like, negative and, you know, Donald's so positive and just, like... So after trying to do it for a bit, he just, like told Spike Jones to to just like he he was like I'm giving you the remote control 
So you just tell me what to do, like, and I'll just do it. Even though, and he said like a lot of what he ended up doing was like against his instincts, but you know, I, it completely pays off. The other weird, and, and so I, I, I mean, it, it's kind of the same thing of like this const, you know, this, in, the, in this really strict confines, he gave a great performance. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of... Two the, great performances. Yeah, I know. And that's, that's sort of the thing with Nick Cage, as we found, is that I think the stricter yeah. the guidelines imposed on him by the director or, or by himself or, or by himself, uh, the better his performance is. I yeah. mean, you know, it doesn't always count for a better movie. I, in this instance, this movie had everything else going for it, too. Yeah, yeah. So it lined up. But in terms of just his performance, like, I think that that is absolutely true. It, yeah, I mean, he just came off of, uh, what, Captain Corelli and, and Wind Talkers and gave two of his worst performances of just, and they're just, like, nothing. Like, and, uh, but they weren't a stretch for him in any conceivable way. And this one, he's wearing a fat suit. He's, is that a wig? Like, what's I up with the hair? I don't know his hair. It's amazing. It's, it's, it is like the neural network extent beyond his brain. I, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like I was get like f- like full close ups. I was paying more attention to the, to the intricacies <laughs> of his hairline <laughs> than like the actual you know internal monologue. He's, his career is filled with like all kinds of questionable hair, but this. Well, is and it's like, funny because like I mean, I, and I know it's a running joke, but Nick Cage acts with his hair like <laughs> each, and also e- depending on the brother, they had slightly different but similar hairs. Hairstyles. I didn't even notice that. And like, and they were weirdly like the differences were weirdly, you know, in tune with the differences of their personalities and like character. And he's a redhead, which looks so strange on his face. He look it just adds to the like weirdness. And he has these tight, like tight red curls that are balding, and it's so. And he's oh, he's so like sweaty and like. He's wearing his wardrobe is kind of the same as Larry David's in Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> he's like wearing these like he's wearing like oversized sweaters and flannels with like, like formless khakis, <laughs> <laughs> like comfortable shoes. Sweat is just the condensation of expansion. It's just the universe. His brain is huge. His mind is huge. It's well, expanding. Well, it is, and in so many scenes too. Like who is the, the whatever makeup woman worked on this? worked on this movie maggie gyllenhaal, maggie gyllenhaal. <laughs> um she for sure like they they had us they had they paid special attention to the beads of sweat on his forehead yeah. for sure they were so perfectly placed Perfect. well i love you pointed out to stars how uh, fucking like blank and sad his apartment is in it it, it looks like someone that moved in and then like never unpacked there's like boxes in the corner. There's one couch in the middle it's of the room. It's not even a couch. Like, it's like <laughs> it's a, a weird like love seat. Yeah, like with mattress with, just sitting on the floor with like the lamp, like the standing lamp pulled all the way out into the middle of the room with a cord just like running into the only socket. Like and and, and everything is so like indistinct. Like nothing on the walls. It's like, not even and not even like IKEA level. It's like it, it's just. Just, just nonsense. It's nothing. Nothing. Yeah, it's nothing. It's it's because he lives in it's his mind. Empty space. Yeah, well, the space isn't empty. I'm just gonna throw that out. But maybe <laughs> there. You know, he created. He had to create a binary star system to swing himself into the gravity that he needed to do this. You know, and the the only place that that happens that we know about is in cosmological terms out out there. What we call what binds them together is. Just kind of like an empty apartment. Yeah, you know? yeah. Kind of like a yeah. big, you know, those two, those two solar systems, because sort of like dependent on each other. Which is, right. it is speculated that Sirius and our sun are have somewhat of a binary pull to each other because they're so close to each other. But Sirius is so much larger. That's than our Donald. Sun. Yeah. 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 So Sirius is definitely Donald. It's right? the other. Right. Sirius yeah. is the other, it's the and other. it's the dog star. I, I mean, the other the big theme uh, in this movie is uh, harmony um, that I had didn't pick up. I remember how cool it was when uh, Meryl Streep and Chris Tucker, Chris Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, this would have been a completely different movie. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god, that's a different timeline. Uh, Meryl Streep and Chris Cooper make the dial tone of the phone talking. Oh, that's o- over that's the an phone. incredible scene. Yeah. 
still it's so meta even in that they're talking over the phone yeah and instead of talking they just make the dial tone of an empty <laughs> empty phone line but when they made it right it's when to her psychedelic understanding to when the dial tone was right was when there were two frequencies that were slightly off from each other right and then causing an undulation the exact the, the exact same way that Charlie and Donald are exactly. slightly you know they they're they're slightly off, but, off but they but find harmony right. yeah. by the end of the movie and um, then he doesn't need Donald anymore you know it, which is like Char- the it's this, a death experience this extension of himself yeah. um, you know I I was thinking of it as like you know he tells Donald that story of uh, he saw. Him in high school, he remembers him flirting with girls, and uh, that they. Uh, but then he Charlie saw them making fun of Donald behind his back, and he's like, "You, you and and you didn't know." And he's like, "I knew, but I just didn't care." You know, that's their problem, and uh, which is this beautiful moment. But uh, watching it, I was like, "Oh, so that was Charlie Kaufman in high school, not caring and just like being more carefree." Looking back. And once he can synthesize, find he's been looking to, rather than hating Donald and hating that part of himself, he's secretly been yearning to get back to that. And, you know, and it's at that point that he's fully embraced Donald's, the Donaldification of the story. Um, And it's got to this lurid, Alfred Hitchcock, like Brian De Palma thing. Yeah, of, yeah. <laughs> uh, the care, the fake Susan Orlean, Meryl Streep, like, and Chris Cooper trying to kill them in the Everglades mob style. That he finds complete harmony and he doesn't need Donald anymore because they are one. And so Donald dies. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I mean, how it even talks about how, you know, like the fractal patterns of metaphysical narrative happening in it, inside the movie. I feel like are reflective of even the patterns and structures of plants themselves and flowers themselves, how they need to repeat in the prime numbers and fractalizations of the ups and downs and the closing and the opening, you know? Right. And that's like, you know, like the dark times and the, the bright times. The movie just flows through the good and the bad yeah. with absolute no implication. It's just showing the strobe of life, like just in essence, you know? Right, right. We see it yeah. beginning from nothing and then it ends with that time lapse. Fi- time finally speeds up and we get time lapse footage of the, like you say, the flowers opening and closing and the light and the dark. And it's, yeah, it's so it, beautiful. It says it all. And then it's, you know, happy together. It plays the song Harmony, you know? Yeah. One of the That's most right. perfect pop songs ever. Yeah. And uh, about being harmonious for eternity. You know, the Happy Together tour just happened last year in 2017 with the Association, the Turtles, and the Cowsills. No All shit. on one tour. If that's not Harmony coming back, I mean, then we're not 50 years after 1968. <laughs> and we are, so I don't know what to tell you guys. If that's not resonance, I don't know what is. <laughs> you said it. This is stupid because there's no way for me to expand on this. At this point, I'm just going to say things that yeah, I thought about we, for the first time this viewing. Yeah. yeah. So um, the point at which, you know, he starts basically the equation of in order to get inside another writer's head to adapt their work. Yeah. It's basically akin to like stalking them. <laughs> right. You know, and like getting to the point where you, you try to, get so inside their head that you tear their life apart. Like, mm-hmm. he literally ruined her life because he didn't know, you know, how to connect with her material. And so within was, that story, she did that to Chris Cooper. Right. <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't mean to derail you by getting into the circles That was where I was going. But that's what's interesting is any of these topics about this movie, it's like a, it's like a, you could just circle the drain forever. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you can go it's, micro, it's, it's like, you can go it, macro. It's ridiculous, man. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like Lionel was just saying, it's just like fractals. Like this movie is yep. like fractals. No matter how much you zoom in or out. Uh, and I'm sure if you, I mean, we should maybe do another episode about it. Maybe one time where we map out you know, all the time markers and narrative points and I, see I mean, how, if the, how in the phi ratio. I know, you know like I, I was, yeah, seriously, I, I was like listing them I, and just like, yeah. The, the, There's like some Fibonacci shit going on yeah, with right. this movie. Seriously. There's the sequence yeah. where we see Darwin writing 
but then it's it's like a really clearly fictionalized version of Darwin because we what we're seeing is inside the the screenplay within the screenplay so um so it's like two levels of like removed from our reality and it's like him you you know in like black and white in this like sepia tone with like candles perfectly placed and like a primate skull on his desk with like a quill like writing <laughs> writing his book so that's one we see the fucking in the sequence with the insects all pollinating the flowers that correspond directly yeah. to you know their their one true you know harmony <laughs> yeah i mean it's harmony it, yeah. the, neither will ever understand the significance of their lovemaking. Yeah, fuck. That's like the most poetic line, you know. I mean, it's just it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, also, when when he go when Charlie Kaufman has the the um, when he first sits down and he has the inner monologue about getting a coffee and a muffin, <laughs> right. and he's like, "Wait, but I should write something first and then reward myself with the coffee." That inner monologue is like the most accurate portrayal oh of like trying to start as an artist, trying to start a project or like, you know, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like it was amazing. And it was so simple. Right. It was so simple, but yeah. it was just like, I cringed. Cause that's like me every time I try to start oh, like totally. anything. It must be everybody. I mean, this is the unified field. This is what connects us. You know, I mean, that's yeah. what this movie I mean, is that, getting I, again to like fractal out. It's yeah. like, you know, that, that is a perfect encapsulation of the whole process of doing the movie, which is a perfect encapsulation of just the struggle of making art, which is the struggle of making life. Yada, yada, yada. It's like, but you're right. Like it's so well, everything in this movie is so well observed too. And including like the whole third act, which is a really well observed. Um, which is the story it, he made up yeah, to prove that he could he write could a make script. a Hollywood yeah, script. Right. <laughs> that he's, he then zooms out of at the end. And, and what's, what's even more just fucking baffling is that he does it so well, I don't want to say effortlessly because it's clearly the product of so much effort, but it, it, this, this kind of like self-aware, um, I mean, there's a reason that I feel like a douchebag saying, just saying meta because it's so overused this idea of like, you know, like basically the Donald, Donald's script in it is, you know, Charlie Kaufman's idea of the, this, like these people who think they're smart and think they're writing these like, you know, uh, really brilliant things, but they're, it's, it's simple. It's simple. And yet Donald is happy with it and everyone else is happy with it. So like, well, and yeah. then he gives in and he makes that story. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, and it's funny because Donald is happy with it because other people are happy with right. it. You know, so like Charlie's whole deal is that he can't get out of his own head it because he has such himself. a, he has such a rigid, you know, subjective idea of what he thinks is good. Right. You know, and, right. and even if other people like it, like, you know, everyone in the movie, no matter how much he's struggling with the script, how much he's pushing the deadline and just kind of being rude to people that like want to know the progress and like not giving a fuck about, you know, uh, like just talking back to his agent and right. all that stuff. But he, but throughout the movie, people constantly are still calling him a genius mm -hmm. and that he's a great writer and he's got a lot of talent and he still doesn't think anything he does is good. Right. You know, because even other people telling him, is not good enough for him if he doesn't believe it. Whereas Donald, his, his barometer for, is it good is do people like it? And they do. So he likes it. <laughs> Mom told me it was psychologically taught. <laughs> God damn it. Donald, such that the whole, everything about the three, about his script is so perfect. It's so good. The thing about the broken mirror uh, it, to represent his fractured interstate. <laughs> All you Donalds out there, um, want, when you watch this movie, just just become, just let yourself go. Yeah, just give let, into you're it. You're not, you're not even yourself. There's the, your identity lists. Your, you know, be you, like be like Charlie Kaufman. Be like Charlie. Where be like you're, Donald. you're not only behind the scenes, but you are the scaffolding of reality. You're like holding it up. You know, you gotta find you gotta find the formula to hold it up for whatever you do, 
whatever that may be. But it seems to be that it is a formula, so you can figure it out. You know, if everybody has their own practice. But I always picture it, I, I am picturing of Charlie just going inside his own mind and just, you know, like just being in the black and white checkerboard uh, spiral staircase <laughs> of his own thoughts. <laughs> and the black and white, you know, is that's why so many ancient cultures have traversed these cube patterns of black and white to, to go so far into complexity beyond any duality, you know, which is what our lives are like anyway. But to frame it in a story is a whole other thing, you know. You have to, yeah, I mean. Yeah, and, and, and why, why stop it too? Yeah, right. You know, right. And then it enters the trinary with the. Go to the with, three. With, yeah. with the three, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So is there a character in the three that is writing a script featuring <laughs> someone with four split personalities? Like I, this, this is, this is just the, you know. Actually, Donald is, is more elevated than uh, Charlie because in part because this script is basically the two. But right. imagine, yeah, imagine right. what's going on in the three. Well, and also there's an alternate universe where the where Donald Kaufman wrote the three. Right. And Charlie Kaufman doesn't exist I, until Donald writes him <laughs> into his script. I was reading <laughs> I was reading that that there was a movie released called The Three after this movie that that's like really a really stupid psychological thriller. Um, Christian psychological thriller, I think. It's not. So does the three refer to like the it's holy like Dragon Trinity? Wars? Have you seen Dragon Wars? That's what I pictured Doc, his movie being like. I haven't I mean, seen that. Oh, you gotta see Dragon Wars. No, I haven't seen it either. What it came that? out in around two thousand seven, two thousand six, maybe. <laughs> Great time. For it was film. in all major theaters, but it was the worst. It was absolute insane, mm-hmm. insane low awareness. Wait, Dungeons and Dragons? No, it's no. called Dragon, Dragon Wars. Wars? Terrible CG for that era. Absolutely terrible. For but that somehow era. It got, for 2007, yeah. This is like worse than 2001 Space Obviously worse CG than 2001 Space Odyssey. I mean, just like the worst 3D model <laughs> dragons I've ever seen. But that there's so much action and it's so bad that it's amazing. It tried to be a cult film, I'm sure, you know? And I remember and enjoying we it. Can make I remember it being a cult crying, film. laughing. You know, that's, that's the mystery of Donald there is that you could take that path. You can make people cry laughing, but... You know, the purpose, the inner purpose won't be blooming. The ambition won't be blooming in others. It'll just be another distraction, another illusion. You know? It sounds like you're getting down on Donald a little bit. I am. A little bit. Yeah. Well, because I, I, I'd like to think that we all think we're Charlie, but there's, <laughs> there's a little more Donald in each of us than we would like to admit. You know, where, where you just want to do something that yeah. will please people, that people will like. Right. Well, yeah, and, and I guess that... You, you know, in like same, in the same way that, like, you know, I'm I've been going on about how he needed to accept it, the Donald in him, and and it, it, you know, at the end of the day, he he's still Charlie, and we, I, you know, I don't think anybody would rather that this movie was the three. It's both. I mean, it's both, but it, which is to say that, like, I'm glad that he went that. The, that the, the purpose isn't to become Donald because that's just half, you know, Don, what, what, why, this mo- why this movie succeeds in part is because Charlie is an asshole and Donald is a fool and together they make a whole person, you know, like, and because we, we all have both of those pieces inside of us. And um, so we're all... In some ways, Charlie's struggling to be Donald's, and in other ways, Donald, which his character looks up to Charlie and is trying to do what he does and and can't. Yeah, but, yeah, because he he does, he just wants he he respects his brother and right. he wants him to, you know, uh, give him advice, tell him he's doing good. Right, they're both attempting to to be each other. So, what would that be in terms of like a cosmological sense? You know, like. Those two things, like fluxing, the fluxing balance between the two, right? Is yeah, it, yin and yang, right? But like, yeah. what, like, it's what kind of information needs to what? What's the what's the form of this information to being sent? You know, between the two of like just knowing that each other exists, just balancing it out. You know, I mean, it's, it's like, like all it's all information, right? right? It's like it's every every uh, you know the give and take. It's just the essence of of life is is that is this like. It's like we could say it's a struggle, um, 
and frame it that way, but or just say that it's a, like a cycle, and it's just these cycles of of things adapting and growing and changing. Mm -hmm. But it seems like more when you when you imbalance it more towards the pure service of others, rather than to serve your own imagination or the manifestation of your own dreams or all that stuff. Well, I think it's less serving your own dreams and more having faith that your dreams can help others or right. mean right. something so to others. Balance. Right. That and and he and he said, Charlie Kaufman, real Charlie Kaufman in our timeline, Charlie, said that like, you know, this basically like where he was going with this is that like um, by just attempting complete honesty and emotional nakedness and you know and and again like i think that's why this movie is so special in part is because it is completely it's it's both it's charlie kaufman is just a very complex person but and this is the way that he through this like you know like can we say that this is like does this break our rules of an adaptation like is this even like well it doesn't i it doesn't just break the rule of the rules of adaptation it breaks the rules of literally all of filmmaking right and yet by doing that by d completely by uh, falsifying truth reality in like a completely uh by calling attention to the fact of its own creation and its own falseness is somehow incredibly honest, emotionally honest and honest about the, the, the process of adaptation when it comes to art. Like apparently when this script came to Susan Orlean and I think John LaRoche, like they were both like, you know, it, they had to approve it. And Susan Orlean was like, no, first, like this, you know, and you see, <laughs> see why, because he turned, I mean, for so many reasons, but I think she realized that. I mean, he, he turns her into an adultering drug addicted murderer. Right. But like, he, yes, but, I would see why she would have a problem with that. And, and but he turns, he turns her into that by, con by, uh, by creating a fake her, by creating a Donald version of or a fake version of the fake version, you know, the merit because because he's actually creating the fake version from her fake version right. that she put in the book. And in the movie, he actually meets the like quote real version of her, which is to say, like the the version that Donald meets when he's like, "So did you fall in love with John LaRoche? Did any of that happen?" And she's like, "No, you know, it's just you know that is the story." And and uh, so she, in a sense, like a true representation of her gets into the film still and her book is faithfully adapted because we see the end of it which is that they don't find the the orchid or anything and it serves that and he's able to to hold true to that but then he also gets to serve the hollywood side of it and completely diverge from it and and in so doing like you know he almost protects her uh material because it's not it's not the truth pretending, or it's not a lie pretending to be the truth. It's another element. It's, it's just it's showing that the book of truth of bl is blank. You know, we're only in our dimension throughout our whole life, you know, but it seems like there's so many other overlapping truths that right. it's pointing at too. And that you have the choice every moment to like balance it out and make your dimension more e in equilibrium with, you know, the how our universe works, how it structuralizes itself, how it harmonizes itself, you know? So what is the significance of Donald dying at the end? I, Maybe more specifically, like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's fine. I mean, I think it's, I, like I said, I think it's like Charlie becoming one with Donald. I think, I think that uh, that's Charlie Kaufman, the real Charlie Kaufman screenwriter, like casting off the character. He doesn't need it anymore. He doesn't need to bifurcate his own personality into, you know, the real Charlie, which is the fat, ugly, self-hating one, and the confident idiot who he just wishes he could be. He's, he, just, he is both of those people, and if he can just embrace the Donald side of himself, 
and accept and see that the Donald side embraces and accepts him, then he doesn't need the the construct anymore. <laughs> I, I he think. didn't seem too sad in the film either. Really? Afterwards. He seemed pretty sad. Afterwards, he was yelling and screaming, but, you know, it didn't, didn't seem that sad. Well, I mean, the flowers seem kind of liberated. In the, yeah. yeah. At the end, I think he's, it, you know, he, it's going to be a good day. He tells that woman he loves her. She tells him she loves him, but pieces out anyway. <laughs> and uh, you it's know. enough to keep the escalator going. Yeah, exactly. Oh man, that, that scene with the the waitress when he's flirting. He's flirting with the waitress, and he asks her to go to the orchid. It's just. Oh, it Did you guys? And then and then the waitresses all get together and <laughs> stare at him and talk. All the, that scene and the other scene with the the violinist at the party yeah. at like toward the beginning of the movie, like and all when the he scenes, drives her home, yeah, any scene with women basically is just so awkward. It's and also, did, did you notice that in his masturbation fantasies, he was just like the same version he of was himself? Still passive. He was, <laughs> it's just the women were were more <laughs> took charge more, <laughs> but he actually didn't have to change or do anything. Like the the waitress takes him out to the woods and like. Kisses him and he's just <laughs> receiving. Yeah, dude, Brian Cox is so good in this. He's great in this. Honestly, I think about that thing about voiceover every time I see voiceover in a movie. I don't. I don't believe that you should never use voiceover, but uh, but I, think I do. About it every I do time. notice when someone shouldn't have used voiceover. Yeah. yeah. Like like a bad a poorly used voiceover now bothers me more. Than Same. it ever did before. It seems like everything is voiceovers now. Yeah. Maybe after that film, they're just like, we have to embrace it. Right. <laughs> We're going into 360 videos, all right? It doesn't matter. Voiceover from all directions. Voiceover in 7-1. Voiceover in Atmos. <laughs> Fuck it. I want, this, I want speakers underneath every chair in the theater. I want them to feel it vibrating the whole body. Each one has a different That's voice. That's the 8.1 that I'm talking about. 8.1. <laughs> 9.9. Uh, uh, this movie is almost to the top. It's almost reaching enlightenment. I mean, I think this might be like... But it's still the abyss. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because it's, it's, it's for, for how much it like purports to say so much about, you know, the nature of like life and duality and harmony in general. Like you kind of come away from it feeling worse than you did before. Like the movie's kind of a downer. It, By the it, time you get to the end of it, I don't. Yeah, I'm, I, I, for me, I just I, it puts you through the ringer a little bit. I, I feel inspired. I mean, it's Charlie Kaufman learns that he can live with himself <laughs> and that it's it's all worth it. I I, I feel like it's uplifting, but uh, but exhausting. Yeah, it's very exhausting. I feel like I have to do like crazy mental. You know, like I I understand how Nick Cage could have just felt crazy. Yeah. Because watching this movie takes a lot of brain power. I can't imagine trying to, you know, yeah. act. Thank God we're so brilliant and we've uh, you right? know, deconstructed it right? um, pretty much 100%. Best deconstruction ever. I, uh, Nick Cage said that uh, he was really inspired by Jeremy Irons and Deadbringers. Oh, that movie's nuts. So good. And uh, that he, you know, he was attempting that and he said that... Uh, after this came out, David Cronenberg wrote him a handwritten note saying, hats off. Really? Yeah, that he did a good job. Wow. <laughs> Which is great. Yeah, that's really cool. Have you seen um, Sisters? No, I haven't. It's pretty cool. It's a De Palma film about Siamese twins, and there's some stabby murder action that goes on. I've heard that's one of his good ones. Yeah, I really liked it when I saw it. I mean, we, you know, like you could, this movie can yeah. be talked about forever and you'd never get to the bottom of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I pretty, uh, I'm pretty happy with, um, how we, uh, how far we came. Yeah. Lionel, before we started recording, you looked up the entomology of, uh, etymology of Kaufman. Of Kaufman. Yeah. yeah and it immediately kind of said that, uh, Kaufman just means merchant, really. Mer merchant of mystery. Merchant of mystery. Maybe in this case. Yeah. But really, it just is 
merchant, just somebody who sells something. Maybe it's rare that somebody sells more than their own wisdom. I mean, it's usually like books. It's the closest thing to selling wisdom, I guess. But this is a this would be a strange, strange linking to that like archetypal role in terms of his name. You know, it's not as synchronistic as actually I thought. <laughs> it's all, it's all. You gotta try though. though you yeah. know, I, I think you, I think you synchronized it about as well as you could. Horse versus a motorcycle. I've always wanted to see that since I saw this film. Yeah. You know, be great. Do you, do you ever see Identity? Is this the one with Cusack? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. I, think I did see that. Yeah. It like I think it came out after this, but it I saw that in theaters. I I took a date to see that movie. Awesome. Actually, now. Are you sure it was dude, a date? This is so weird. Or I was haven't. It? <laughs> I haven't thought about this in so many years until you just brought this up. Um, yes, Dave. I'm positive it was not another part of my own personality. Okay. It was a s- second person. <laughs> <laughs> That I was trying to make out with and feel up in the movie theater. You're just making out with yourself in the in the theater of identity. <laughs> uh, but I don't know, man. I don't remember it. You know. Yeah. But, but I remember thinking it was absurd. I I remember paying enough attention that by the end I was like, really? That's the payoff? Well, because it's like I'm about to spoil it. So if you want to see identity, oh, yeah. you can. Uh, <laughs> you don't. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. It it is essentially the three in that like. Um, it's like all these characters trapped in a rundown motel and, uh, and then it's revealed that it's all just different parts of the same personality of one guy. Um, and, uh, and it's John Cusack and it's John Cusack of, uh, original movie. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I, I kind of want to rewatch it cause I, re- I remember being, you know, like, uh, the Robert Cox, Robert, Brian, Brian, Jesus, Robert McKee. Yeah, um, he, like he says, you know, if you wow him in the last act, uh, then the movie's a, a hit. And I remember thinking that it was fucking ridiculous and stupid, but I was also like, okay, yeah, I didn't see that coming. Did you, you no, just, you know what, dude? I saw that with a girl I was trying to make out with. <laughs> oh my god, dude! I feel like that was just one of those movies that is that it's just like a throwaway date movie. Yeah, like that's why I never went on another date with that girl. Yeah, I don't think I did either. I don't remember now. Oh man, yeah, she wasn't she wasn't interested in me. Was she more interested in Cusack than you? Maybe she uh, just maybe she was just a part of myself. She uh, she kind of was. I kind of was just projecting onto her. Oh my god, I feel like I just went to therapy just watching this movie. Yeah, it makes us better people. It makes us yeah. more open and you know just like vulnerable. It's weird. Well, yeah. on, on that note. Lionel Williams. Thanks, Thanks Lionel. Thanks for joining us. Oh, yeah. This was course. by far the probably the most metaphysical conversation we've the ever had. The stoniest episode. Yeah, easily, absolutely. Easily. I Sorry. can't tell if it'll be one of our best or if uh, nobody will want to hear it. But Who cares, man? And, I and, guess. Oh, by the way, yeah. happy happy 35th, Dave. 36, 36, I think. 36. This is our 36th episode. Yeah, we made it. Happy 36, dudes. I know. Yeah. Feels good. We're almost 40, which means <sighs> we're almost 50, which means... Uh, we're almost dead. I'm, so. I'm pretty sure I, I need to look this up, but I'm pretty sure the next one is the... Mo- Sonny. Sonny, the Nicolas Cage's directorial debut. Is it his only so. directorial so. credit? Yeah. I'm not sure about that, but it's definitely I, his first. I know nothing about this movie. Me either, when and I'm kind of psyched. Like right after this. 2002 or 2000, three. Yeah. Yeah. He was feeling hot. See, this movie was a nebula for him. It was just, it was yeah. Just, it just sort of, he created his own star. He became a different star. I mean, I don't know. Yo, is there like, I, I will say, after rewatching this, like, I, du- I doubled down on my fanboydom, and in, in terms of like, like I, I we've never been like. Uh, we, we've never been strictly evangelizing Nick Cage, you know, but we're, we're also not, you know, we don't take like an ironic distance to it. Like I, I've always thought that he was a great actor, but like just watching this, I was just really struck by like, who are his peers? Like who exists in the, the same pop culture realm of being like simultaneously like a, a joke um, to some people, but like, a movie star who is yes a great actor who would do something that was as like 
bold as this and experimental as this role, these roles and this movie and still be an action star. Like there's no one. He has no peers. I can't think of anybody. Yeah. I mean, he's he's yeah. an anomaly. Anomaly. Yeah, he really is. He's out of the cage, completely out. Yeah. Uncaged. <laughs> wild Hollywood's wild talent. That yeah. was the name of the other book. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the man behind Captain Corelli. By Ian Markham Smith and Liz, and Liz Hodgson. Hodgson. <laughs> ISBN number three six nine seven forty three zero. Random House Publishing. <laughs> I wish I remembered it. Yeah, yeah. Just get it tattooed on myself. Ugh, all right. Um, Till next time. Uh, if you're listening, please rate us on iTunes. Um, please do that. Yeah, yeah uh, rate us on iTunes. Also, follow us on Instagram. Yeah, at Heat Seeking Panther. Uh, we post a lot of goodies as well as uh, occasionally live stream an episode, which yeah. I totally forgot to set up tonight. But I couldn't have handled it. Yeah, it's too much uh, media at once. It's fine. Um, but yeah, and then uh, yeah, so follow us on Instagram at Heat Seeking Panther. Also, email us Heat Seeking Panther at Gmail if uh, you know questions, comments, concerns, uh, longer essays that won't <laughs> that won't fit over DM. Uh, and uh, Lionel, to close out, uh, can you make a panther sound for us? <laughs>